Hello and welcome to the KC at the Movies podcast for July 19th, 2019. What's going on? How are you? It's a lovely Friday afternoon edition of the podcast. We've got the sunset setting over the paddock. The cows are coming in. It's looking really nice. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about Stuba, um, the new comedy from Michael Dow starring Kamala and Johnny and Dave Bautista. We're going to be talking about Longshot. Um which premiered in uh, May, which had uh, Seth Rogen, Charlize Theron, another Jonathan Levine film, and uh, what you probably all must be curious about, uh, The Lion King, the live-action Lion King. I went and saw that on Wednesday night, and I've got some thoughts about it that I want to share. Um, so I thought I'd first start off with uh, our first two comedies, and then we'll move on to The Lion King. We'll get into the nitty-gritty uh, a bit later on. So, Stuba is um, actually directed by Michael Douse, who um, did uh, What If, and um, which, is, as you guys know, is one of my favorite um, rom-coms of all time. It did feature on the, um, it featured on the uh, Valentine's Day special. He also did Goon. I don't know if he did Goon and Last of the Enforcers, but he also did the first Goon with uh, Shoryam Scott and um, uh, Jay Baruchel. Which is um, it's 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 uh that the first one was a good one. The second one wasn't as good, but I still appreciated um, Baruchel's directing in that movie. But um, what I came for was Michael Douse. It was nice to see him back, and um, a very unlikely duo of uh, Dave Bautista and Kamala Jani. Now Stuber is about Bautista's character being a cop who's trying to um, chase after a uh, heroin dealer who is none other than Eco Awai from um, the Raid films. And um, again, it's I, I will say they've utilized him better than they did in uh, Mile 22 because they, they had a lot of shaky cab action in that movie. There is... This movie is nothing like John Wick or anything, but the action, I think, is a bit better utilizing um, Eco's um, uh, fighting style and um, his stunt work. Uh, but it's mainly about uh, Kamala Jani David Batista and how, when, how they uh, get along. So Batista plays a cop who has just got laser eye surgery and uh, he's chasing this heroin dealer. He has, he's been told to stay off the case, but he um, has figured out that he's made some recent movements. And um, what he does is he he's not really familiar with the technology, so he, he, um, he kidnaps an Uber driver. And that's Stu. That's Stu, played by Kamala Jani. And uh, he has to, he pretty much uh, has Stu for his service to get him from A to B in his Uber. And um, hilarity ensues, as we are, might think. Uh, this movie was good. It, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was actually pretty funny at points. Um, Nanjani does swing for a lot of jokes. Some miss, some really didn't get me, but he has, he, I appreciate the swings. And he, um, he makes a lot of, um, He's a funny dude. Najani's a funny dude. I've I've actually been following Najani ever since uh, Silicon Valley, where he started on that show, and then I went back and watched his um his stand up special. And um, he's a very funny dude. And then we watched, and we you know he's he's now, and uh, you know Oscar nominated, uh, writer for The Big Sick. So, I mean he's come quite a long way, and he's still making it right now. Um, he's he's just been cast in the. Uh, Eternals, the Marvel Eternals film, and um, apparently he's been getting pretty jacked for that. I mean, I think um, I've seen on Emily Gordon's Instagram that he has been getting 
pretty built. And um, recently, we just the Hot Ones, which is a great show. If you're not watching that on YouTube, it's a fucking great, great show. Sean Evans is a fantastic interviewer, and a great host as well. Anyway, but uh, so he, he, uh, he, a lot of the jokes come from him, but I will say these jokes are not really written. I mean, the script's written by Tripper Clancy. And uh, I haven't really seen his name before. He hasn't been. He hasn't been quite familiar. No, he's not. I think Stuber really is his first kind of first film. I think Four Against the Bank was the first one he did, but his first kind of mainstream film. Stuber is more of a uh, studio comedy. Um, and uh, what kind of baffles me is that it's not really getting the attention. I mean, it wasn't really advertised too much, I think, which makes me think that the studio, and I don't know where this, uh, who the studio is, I think it's um, uh, it's Fox, which is interesting because now that Disney has acquired Fox, is this one of the Fox, kind of the ones they had on their back burner and they kind of like dumped it? Um, people have been saying that. I don't think it is because like Disney only has just gotten Fox now and I think this was obviously already been shot and already in Fox's possession and everything like that, and they they just did it. Maybe they didn't have any confidence in it. But I mean, as a film, I, I think I think it's good. It, it could have done well. Um, it's not doing too well though at the box office. But in terms of um, comedy, it's pretty funny. Um, I will say though that the plot is pretty by the numbers plot, and the ending is. I mean, the whole movie is very predictable, and you know what's going to happen at every single turn. There's not really much surprises. It's just the jokes and the gags that kind of you know are good, and they take you off guard. Sometimes some things you don't expect. Um, one of my favorites uh, joke kind of scenes in the in the film was a, a kind of an interrogation scene that was kind of absurd expectations. And you, you uh, I mean, when you when you see a scene like that, you normally see that going one way. And I just like the way that Nanjani's character um, does with that scene. And like I said, the jokes do come from character. So um, that's what I like that. I also really like, for some reason, I really like in films how the environment really affects their characters. And, um, I mean, I noticed it a lot in, um, uh, what was that, uh, that movie called? Um, oh, is the, uh, oh, shit, hang on. Let me, let me just get the title. Let me, let me just get the movie. Hang on. I gotta, uh, cause I, Revenge, that's it. I got to Matilda Lots and then I got to Revenge. So, yeah, Revenge. And how the desert kind of plays a lot on their, um, you know, on affecting their character and how they, um, you know, perceive things and and uh, their, you know, their weakness weakness, and their stamina. Um, Stuber kind of does this as well. It's a very, very hot day when they go out and their little journey. Very, very hot. And Nanjani's like character, Stuber, he's sweating a lot. They're all sweating. Everyone's sweating. And it's kind of... Um, I just like how that, you know, how that's really portrayed on film. Like, it's not just showing you... This film does have kind of an, uh, like a setting that it has. And I just appreciated that. And, um, and uh, you know, you got Batista being, you know, his character. Um, his uh, character of um, uh, Vic. I think it's Vic. Yeah, Vic. Uh, he is... He just got laser eye surgery. So his eyesight is very, you know, he doesn't... is very limited. And throughout the film, it gets even better because he, his doctor tells him he has to wait a few days or wait a few, you know, this set amount of hours for his eyesight to be fully restored. And um, and uh, I like how 
there, there are constantly going back to shots where he has to keep looking at this board to see if he can get the numbers right and see, can, see if he can see. And uh, I, I know, I just like that. They really, they really thought about it. And it just, it just sucks that it's not doing so well. And it, it didn't really, it just sucks that it has the plot it does as well. Like it, it has a very predictable plot. Then you're just like, oh, I've seen this before. It's kind of like a wish wash kind of thing. Um, but because there's things, there's elements in this film that I really, really like and I really, really appreciate. And um, it could help it to, it, it, you know, if the plot was a bit better, this actually could be a really good comedy, like a memorable comedy. But um, because of the plot and because of how predictable it is, it kind of brings it down and it doesn't really make it that memorable. Um, so I kind of left it feeling, oh yeah, that was good. I had a good time. I didn't feel uh, too, um, I didn't feel like a waste of my time or anything like that. It was a good, it was a good, good flick. Uh, and that's playing if you're, you know, I think it's playing everywhere now, actually, if you're American and Australian. It's playing out in cinemas. So if you feel like watching like a kind of lighthearted comedy, uh, just go see it through. But it'll, it'll definitely... Um, Scratch that itch, I guess. And uh, another comedy I want to talk about, which is very highly, I think, highly underrated. Highly underrated. I don't know how people were not talking about this when it came out. It only got, I, I, I think, again, limited advertisement. Again. Um, yeah, limited advertisement. But um, i got to talk about it. Uh, long shot. I think it's because it came out the same time around John Wick Chapter 3 came out as well. And um, we also had uh, uh, Detective Pikachu came out in May as well. So I think it, that's kind of, you know, it, it, it came out in a very competitive time frame. Um, so, you know, this film's directed by Jonathan Levine, written by Dan Sterling and Liz Hanna, which I think works with its strength for having a, um, a male and female perspective for the script. Um, works really well for this film because that's where the comedy really comes from and and the heart I think as well um, and it's about uh, Fred Flasky who's Seth Rogen and uh, he works as a journalist and he uh, runs into his childhood crush Charlotte Field who is a secretary of state that's played by Charlie Theron and uh, she is aspiring to become uh, the president for 2020 and what happens is she brings him along because of his uh his ability in writing and, and uh, being a journalist, he brings him on to be a speechwriter. And let's just say, sparks fly, uh, feelings are felt. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just say that. Uh, this movie was so delightful. Um, very pleasantly surprised by this flick. Uh, watched it the other night with my housemate. He, he, he really liked it as well. He thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. Um, I think I, I really think it's because it came out that competitive time frame that not many people went and saw it. They were all, the, the, the crowds were flocking to see Detective Pikachu and they were flocking to see um, John Wick Chapter Three. Uh, I think uh, if this was released in a better kind of area, um, it could have done well. But then you got after that, you had fucking Endgame. So I mean, well, Endgame is actually still going from April twenty sixth. So. Um, I guess you couldn't really find a good one, but at least it's the studio I wanted to put it there. I guess that's what we're going to do. Um, another great one for Jonathan Levine. I think it's a really, really good director. Um, I like the films that he chooses, chooses to do as well, uh, but it's not just his directing. I think what really works here is um, the script by um, Liz Hanna and Dan Sterling. Um, I don't know if they're a writing duo or something like that. I th they might be. I'm not too sure. Um, Dan Sterling. Dan Sterling, Liz Hannah. 
No. Okay. Okay, right. Oh, they wrote the post as well. I had no idea. Okay, Liz Hannah wrote the post. Okay, right. I think she was actually nominated. Was she nominated? Anyway, great doer here for the script. Because I think what you have here is... Um, there's a lot of... You're dealing with a theme of a female president. You are you you have... Um, this And this can easily come off as a very down-your-throat... Uh, I don't want to say it, but feminist propaganda piece. And uh, it can really come off as like that. I mean, we can really have a Neighbours 2 situation going on here. But uh, Longshot plays it very, very... Um, unlike what I was expecting... Uh, I was expecting tr uh, still a very funny comedy, but I think it's Charlie Theron's delivery on her lines. She is fantastic at this character. She's um, she's just so good to watch. Her and her and Seth Rogen really work well together as well. They, their chemistry is really great. They're great on screen together, and they have some really really great moments in this film. Um, and it has a really good message. Like it does explore both sides. It doesn't choose. I mean, we definitely have a president in this film that is reminiscent of our current um. The current president of the United States, uh, you know who, and um, he's kind of like played off as a look of a bumbling character, but I also respect that um, uh, people's ideals are respected. I think people's ideals and their perspectives are respected in this film. There, there's because we get to see things from a different viewpoint from each character, um, mainly O'Shea Jackson, who is the best part of this movie. Um, in my opinion, he's fantastic as like the uh, comedic relief. Um, he is so fuck. He's fucking. He's funny. He's funny as shit in this movie. He really, really delivers. And uh, <laughs> I will say, there's a really, really great moment as well with boys to men, which I won't say what happens, but it's a very funny joke. I'm still thinking about it. It got us. Um, it got us good. Very, very funny stuff. Um, yeah, there's just, just some things I didn't expect in this movie. There are some lines that were hilarious. Delivery of some cert, of certain lines coming from different characters. Charlie Theron nails it. Seth Rogen's really good in this movie. Um, yeah, O'Shea Jackson is a great standout. Um, hell, even from um, June Diane Raphael from um, New Girl. Uh, she, she's really, really fun in this movie as well. Uh, I think she really works as well. And, um, I gotta see who, um, I, I was watching this character throughout this movie and he has a very large nose and he has a, like, a large, he has a large hair and, and a, a lot of hair and a large nose. And I was trying to work out who it was throughout the movie. So it is a kind of a celebrity cameo thing kind of going on like a high celebrity cameo going on here uh, see if you can work out who it is um it's parker wembley it's the character parker wembley he has white hair and a, and a large nose and um i wasn't sure who it was i thought it was just like an unknown actor that I was like oh that that guy's got a really fucking big nose <laughs> but it turns out when you go to the credits you find out who it is and you're like oh my god we've got a bit of a les grossman situation going on here i think um, now it's not Tom Cruise, but it's someone that we, most of every, like all of us know who, who it is, um, uh, known for some very well-known films. And, uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I just, it just made me think of Loveless Grossman. Cause I was like, like, 
that doesn't even look like Tom Cruise, but it also kind of does if you look in, look closer. Um, this character now that I've gone back and looked at looked at it, he yeah yeah I was like okay, that's that's really good work though. Uh, but yeah, see if you can spot who it is. Just see if you can spot who it is, um, and, and uh, maybe even hit me up and let me know. See if you got him. Um, very very um, yeah. Odd that he was in there, but um, cool. I liked it. So yeah, dude, uh, positive thoughts in this movie. Very, very positive thoughts. Um, it just sucks that it came out in that time frame and uh, it got didn't do too well at the box office, but this is one of the best comedies of the year. It is actually my funniest... It's my favorite comedy of the year, I think. Um, it's very, very funny. It's um, Now, Booksmart is still, I think, my favorite movie of the year, but I did say when I finished the film, I was like, that was funny than Booksmart. And uh, I think it was. So, um, very, very highly recommend Long Shot if you want to check out just a hilarious movie, but also having a good message, good performances, great script. Um, yeah, really, really good. It's it's kind of like this year's Blockers, but I think this is better than Blockers. Um, this is it's really, really good, good stuff. All right, let's get onto it. Let's get onto the meat. Uh, sorry for that pun, or lions, but. Uh, Let's get to it. So on Wednesday night, I went and saw The Lion King, which was uh, its Australian premiere here in, um, in Australia. Um, so I went and saw it uh, for my sister's uh, 15th birthday. And uh, so as everybody kind of knows, I was, I've, I was always hesitant about this one. I'm hesitant pretty much about every Disney remake. Like, I don't think it needs to be remade, but there are some things that really work. For example, really liked the uh, Aladdin remake this year. So, um, I'm always going to have that, um, you know, having, uh, being that skeptical. And, um, yeah. So I went to The Lion King, and this is what I thought. Um... I thought the animation is, but right off the bat, I think the animation is incredible. It's, it's groundbreaking. It's, it's, it's Jungle Book on steroids. Um, I still liked the Jungle Book. Uh, I actually, I didn't really like the Jungle Book remake, but I liked the animation. Again, I appreciated the animation there and what George Favreau did with his team there to get that going. And the animators, like, holy shit, the amount of work they had to put in, the amount of hours they had to put into that movie. Very well done. Um, like, holy shit absolutely groundbreaking CGI and this is the same here it's the same shit um, and it, it's the same goodness you get with the animation these lions look fucking real man they look real these lions look real these I mean, the meerkat the, the, you know I'm talking about Timon and, and you know the warthog and um, every fucking animal in this movie looks photorealistic it is incredible it is absolutely incredible what these people have done and how far we've come in CGI animation. And, um... But, there's a double-edged sword there, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I thought the cast, when I, when the cast was announced, I was very pretty, ex I was, you know, I was pretty excited. There was a pretty good cast. I mean, more, more than pretty good, really, it was fucking Donald Glover, who's Childish Gambino, who's, again, one of my favourite people on, the, on this planet. Um, got John, uh, John Oliver, James Old Jones was coming back as Mufasa. Um, Beyonce was going to be Nala. We got, we got Andre, um, Keegan Michael Key being the um, 
you know, the uh, fucking hyenas. And then we had Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner as uh, Tomato Puma. We had a really good cast. And, you know, that really was getting everyone excited. That was like, okay, this is going to be, this could be good here. Um, and I will say, Tomato Pumbaa are probably the best part of the film. They're the best part of the movie. Um, yeah. They, they have, I think they work better than what they did in the original. Um, they, cause I think Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen really bounce, bounce off each other so well. And they have a great chemistry. And um, I, I think I, if I, if I'm aware, I think the, the John Favreau likes to record the lines in the same room as each other, so you don't have separate rooms going on. John Favreau likes to record people in the same room, so when people talk to each other, they're actually fucking talking to each other. They're not in separate booths. Um, I think I read that some, somewhere, and I like how John Favreau does that. How he how he how he tackles that aspect of that, and to have these characters have more of a chemistry of each other, um, and and having that you know, look real on, on screen. Um, and Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner did really good. Their, their jokes really work. Um, I like that some of the stuff they included with them was really good. I mean, I mean, it's still the same stuff, but, um, they added some more stuff that works and, um, it was good. I, I liked, uh, Donald Glover's voice is magic. Um, it's still, still great. I mean, what, what more can I say there? Um, I mean, of course, Beyonce's got a great voice as well. I mean, everyone's great here. Singing good. Um, everyone's good. Everyone's good. Let's just say that. Everyone's good. That's my uh, overall feeling here. Everyone's good. I don't mind everyone being in here and doing this. Everyone's good. They put in the work. Blah, blah, blah. But this movie ultimately was a disappointment. Um... This movie was, uh, it, it felt like a vapid, soulless Hollywood project. And, um, and, and, and that comes off very strong, very, very strong. But that's really, really how I felt about this movie. Um, because we're dealing with photorealistic lions, one of my biggest gripes of this movie is you can't really see the emotion on their faces when they're doing certain scenes, when you've got, I mean, f- for example, we all know how the Lion King goes. Mufasa's death scene is a very, very sad scene in the in the original film, in the original animated film. From, um, and uh, it's 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 the same thing here, and um, you just don't get that the loss with Simba here because Simba's a real lion. I mean, it, it's not saying that like you don't really care about these animals, but like. Because I know my sister, my sister had a lot, a lot of stuff to say as well. She said she really cared about the animals because they're more realistic. But because I've seen the original, and um, you know, I love the original. The original is my favorite Disney film. Um, I just didn't get it. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything for the majority of this film, and uh, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem because a way to me, to, to, uh, I need to connect with the characters to really sympathize with what they're going through and really love the story. And uh, I do that with The Lion King because it's an animation, they're able to do, you know, get away with so much. And um, the emotion, you can really feel the emotion on Simba's face when Mufasa dies. You can feel the, you can feel the disappointment on, on uh, Mufasa's face when Simba goes to the elephant graveyard. And you just don't get that here. You might get a slight change of the eyebrows or anything like that, but you just don't get it. You don't get it here. And um, it really, really is a detriment to this film. Um, 
it honestly felt like the equivalent of with acting with humans, like wooden acting, acting without emotion. And that's what I got here with The Lion King. Um, it's not... Yeah, I just, I really didn't really feel anything and it did feel soulless. Um, I know a lot of other people are using that word, but that's honestly the word I came out with in this movie. It felt soulless. And um, it felt just like a, just another soulless, vapid Hollywood cash grab. That's all it felt like with big names attached to it to make a money because damn well this movie's going to make a billion dollars at the box office. Um, Disney obviously knows what they're doing. Um, now the original film is only an hour and 28 minutes and this one is an hour and 58 minutes, almost two hours and they've added some stuff that kind of, they really just added the stuff to pad the film out and I didn't think the stuff that they added was necessary and I wasn't a fan of it um, most of the stuff they've added, just, I don't like, I don't like Beyonce's new song, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Beyonce, but I don't like, I, just, I don't like her in this movie at all, actually, um, I think she oversings at certain points, and, um, I don't like her, um, her little song she put in here, uh, I think it's when Simba and Nala go back to Pride Rock, um, it's called Spirit, I want to say it's called Spirit, because it just kept saying spirit. So I was like, this must be called spirit then. I just didn't like that song. I didn't think it was needed. It was necessary. It didn't do anything for me of the characters. And I compared this to Jasmine's song, Speechless, from, from Aladdin. Because that song really meant something to um, like to, to most audiences. I mean, like, I mean, it's still going making money at the box office. So it must be doing fucking well. Um, meant something to me as well. Because it really... That song really illustrates how Jasmine felt and how what Jasmine's going through and the and the, the action she's about to take. And Beyonce's little edition here with with this song just does nothing. It just does nothing to improve or boost the source material, or it just doesn't do anything. Uh, this really is the first Disney remake I feel that just doesn't need to exist. It doesn't need to exist. And um, it, it's, it feels terrible to say that, especially because since The Lion King is my favorite Disney film, it feels honestly terrible to say that. I wanted this to be good, but I also didn't want... I was also very skeptical about this. I was always going to be skeptical about it. And this is really the first one where I've come out just really on the negative side and just feeling like this does not need to exist. Um, and, and you want to talk about showing a new generation The Lion King... You want you you want your kids to feel something, right? Like you want them to watch a film and be affected by it. You don't get this here with the Little Lions. I'm sorry, but you don't. You don't get it here. Just show them the original Lion King. There's nothing wrong with that film. Just show them the original Lion King. It's a great animated feature, and it's and it it it'll really you know. It'll still get them. It'll make them feel something. I, I, I have a friend that watched it this year and she loved it. I just don't... I really don't think this film needs to exist. I really don't think it does. And, um... You know, if, if it doesn't, um... I was going to be fine if it added things that would it would do something to improve the story, boost the source material, all that stuff. I lo- I like how remakes try that do that stuff sometimes. They take risks, but this literally is a shot for shot, almost line for line remake with stuff padded in that is not necessary 
and it, this movie doesn't need to exist at all. And um, it just it feels shit to say that, but that's the truth. That's that's how I feel about the Lion King. I really don't recommend you go and spend your money on this film. Uh, Disney has enough money, <laughs> I'd say. Um, uh, go and see Crawl, or go and see Stuba, really. Um, yeah, I really don't think you need to rush out to go to see this one. I think you can, can give us a skip. Um, this is really the first Disney remake where I don't feel, it, feel its um, existence can be justified. So, um, yeah, sorry to say that. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about all those movies, guys. Um, I'm actually, we're doing a bit of a short one this, uh, tonight. I've actually got a few people coming over, so, um, I'm gonna have to, like, cut this short, I think, at about half an hour. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about is, really quickly is Comic-Con is happening right now in, uh, America. We just got a, another Terminator trailer. I'm not really interested in that stuff, though, but... We have heard it's going to be R-rated. We have Edward Furlong coming back to be uh, John Connor. Uh, we've also got a trailer for It Chapter 2, which very people are uh, very, very excited about. Um, it features a lot more of the Adult Losers cast. There's a bit of the younger cast as well in there as well. And um, especially a lot more of Pennywise is um, present here in this trailer. Uh, we also got, uh, very recently a uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot trailer. Um, now, I haven't seen the original film, so I had no idea what the fuck was going on in this trailer. <laughs> so I was watching it, and I was like, okay, I don't get any of this. So maybe I need to watch the original film to understand more of that. But if you're a fan of that stuff, I mean, that reboot trailer is out right now. Kevin Smith actually said that he was going to do it after the Hall H panel, um, the Marvel Hall H panel on the weekend, but he said he couldn't wait. He wanted to drop it now. So it's available right now, guys, to go and check it out. Jane Silent Bob reboot is out now. The trailer's out now. Um, what one thing I do when I actually give my two my two cents on is um, David Benioff and DB Weiss are no longer attending their um, self um, their, their Comic Con panel. Now they were supposed to have a Comic Con panel with them. I, I, I believe it was Natalie Emmanuel, um, Ian Glenn, and I think was it Nicolaj Costa Wilder. Um, I think it's a very short cast. Might have been Isaac Hempstead Wright, actually, and Mesa Williams. Anyway, it was it wasn't like them. It wasn't too much of the main cast. I don't think Kit Harrington was going to be there. I don't think Emily Clark was going to be there. Um. Um. But DB Weiss and David Benioff were going to be there. And uh, there's a joke right right going. You know, I'm part of the uh, subreddit. Um the free folk subreddit and there's a really there's a massive joke obviously going on in that thread um that thread of people um going to that panel and just booing them like relentlessly about what they did with season eight and i wouldn't go i wouldn't go that far um i'd ask them some questions but i wouldn't go as far as to boo them um yeah i wouldn't go as far as to like just to just to really shut on them for their work i mean they still did something it's just what they did didn't really, you know, was was, was not good. <laughs> Let's just say that. But I'm not going to obviously go to the panel and waste my time just by booing at them and saying, well, fucking do, you know, it it, it seems very petty and it doesn't, it, it seems like a really big waste of my time. So I wouldn't actually do that. Uh, I'd, I'd obviously ask some questions, but what is really, 
kind of not bothered me, but I was just kind of, it's intrigued me. It's perked me interest a bit. They have dropped out of going to the Comic-Con panel. They have dropped out. Their reason, the HBO's reason was because they were going to, um, HBO's reason was because they were going to do, uh, they had scheduling conflicts because I'm pretty sure they're going to be at D23 to do Star Wars. And uh, they had scheduling conflicts. So they couldn't attend. That was their thing. If they announced they couldn't attend, people asked why. The HBO came up with a statement later saying they had scheduling conflicts, blah, blah, blah. Okay, right. If you had scheduling conflicts, because they've only just... They were supposed to appear tomorrow at the, at the panel. If you had scheduling conflicts, you waited up until the day before and just dropped out after that. This is, this is what this tells me. They're not... Honestly, I think they're cowards. I don't think they want to face the, the crowd to um, go with... You know, to, like, they're going to be hit with a lot of criticism after what happened with season eight. Um, just face the music. Just face the music. I know it's, you know, it's it's weird of me to, weird of me to say because, you know, I'm not them. But just, come on, just face the music. Own up to what you did. Um, or just, or defend what you did, you know? Defend what you did. But it, this honestly feels like an act of just running away and not dealing with your problem. Um, honestly, it does. It, it just feels like they're just like, oh, no, I can't, we can't do this. So I've lost a lot of respect for D.B. Weiss and David Benioff now. Um, I, I mean, I lost respect when they, when they fucking delivered that final season, but especially those last three episodes. But um, yeah, I've lost, yeah, quite a, quite a bit of respect for them because I, I believe the reason is because they just don't want to deal with what's going on. They just don't want to deal with it. They even said before the season was over, they were going to move far, far away and just get drunk. So they obviously knew what they were planning. They knew what they were going to do. They knew we were going to piss off a lot of people. And they just don't want to own up to it. So they're cowards. Um, yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I just, that really... It, 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 it's, uh... It's, uh... Tickle... I can't even think of the fucking right saying. But, um, yeah, didn't, didn't sit well with me. Didn't sit well with me. There you go. Didn't sit well with me. Um, and, uh, talking about them as well, um, how the fuck did the Iron Throne get nominated for a writing Emmy? What? What? Makes no sense. How the fuck did that episode get nominated for a writing Emmy? And how did they get nominated for directing? Oh. I mean, I get Miguel Sapochnik and, you know, David Nutter, but fucking hell, them for directing Emmy and a writing Emmy for the final episode of Game of Thrones. A writing Emmy for, like, The Long Night. Are you kidding me? That's that's ridiculous, man. That's just fucking ridiculous. There are plenty of good shows right now that are doing much, much better than that in terms of writing. Um, wow. Wow, man. I just, yeah, that's fucking, that's just weird. That's just, it feels like I'm in, I'm in, I'm in like an odd world or something. That, that trash episode of a finale is getting a writing Emmy. Is, is nominated for a writing, I'm not going to get a writing Emmy, but nominated for a writing Emmy. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's all I really got to say. Um, wrap it up. If you want to know more about, 
uh, Once Upon Tom Hollywood news, uh, Quentin Tarantino has added two more minutes of footage to it. Um, I'm staying up to date on all of it because, you know, I'm a Tarantino shill. You could just call me that. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. Um, yeah, he has gone on to say... He also went on to say that uh, he... He thinks if he doesn't start if, uh, if he does the Star Trek film uh, next, and that's his tenth film, he, he, he that he doesn't matter. But then he also keeps saying like, "Oh, that doesn't really count because that would be my original film anyway." Um, so that wouldn't make any sense. I want to do like an original, another original film. Um, so I don't really know what you know what he's doing there. No one knows what he'd do. The man's an enigma. I don't know. I don't know how he looks like that in his fucking nearly <laughs> six. Ah, oh, he's a, he's a great he's a weird dude, but a great dude and inspiration to me. Um, yeah, so he's added two more extra minutes of footage, and I believe it's more of Sharon Tate because uh, like, there's a bit of a there's a little bit of a backlash. It only lasted for like a day or two, but like there's a little bit of a backlash saying that Sharon Tate wasn't in the film that much for a film about that you know revolving around that subject matter that she's not in the film that much. So I guess this is a way to please them kind of people. I don't know. Maybe this was his decision. I don't know, but he's added two more footage, or two more minutes of footage into the film, and it's kind of revolving more around Sharon Tate. So there you go. A little bit of Once Upon Time or Herwood news there from yours truly. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's going to wrap it up today, guys. Uh, a little bit of a short one today. We had the, uh, I can't believe the best in the worst one was longer than this one, but um, a little bit of a short one today. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen next week. Um, I haven't really got any plans to see something else. I might see Crawl on the weekend. That's still playing because um, that came out the same as Stuba. So I might go see Crawl on this weekend. I'm, I'm supposed to go see... Uh, the man himself, Donald Glover, Childish Gambino, on uh, Wednesday. So I got to get some new clothes for that. Um, you know, particularly some new pants, I think, to get new clothes for that. Um, but yeah, I, I might. Um, I don't know if it would be a movie episode next week, or we might just have a bit of a kind of like a half yearly reflection. Uh, I feel like maybe doing that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, we might talk, still talk about some movies. Um, next week, I'm also showing, I'm doing a screening of uh, Nightcrawler on uh, to my friends on when, on Thursday. So, might do an episode on Nightcrawler, maybe that could be interesting. I don't know, but I'll work it out over the weekend. I, I work, I'll work it out, and I'll let you guys know. When, um, if you follow me on Instagram or the Facebook page, I'll put an announcement up there what I'm going to do with next week. But as of, of the moment, like Quentin Tarantino, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll sort it out. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to this week's episodes. Um, you can go check out the Best and Worst episode, or it's really just the 10 films I think you should watch in 2019. I also recommend three television shows, so you can go on there and listen to those. Uh, you can go on there and listen to that episode. You can go listen to it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, that's where you want to get your shit. Or you can just go old school and go CastBox, where the RSS feeds are uh, coming from. <laughs> But um, any any listen to this one, obviously as well, you can come up. Thank you so much, guys, for following the podcast. Um, if you if you've been listening for a while, thanks for staying on. Uh, if you're new, you know, welcome. It's going to get a bit weird, um, but uh, thanks for uh, you know, thanks for joining, and thanks for giving me a listen. Appreciate it. Uh, so I'll see you next week, and make sure, guys, again to follow the podcast on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and uh, you have a great great weekend. And I'll uh, I'll talk to you next week. 
All right.